Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Caw, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my cartet, the guy who I house hunt with on a bi-weekly basis, the one and only DJ. Tell me more about uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, Rachel. Uh, I hear this might be your new dream You town. are such a brainworm. I never would have even considered it, but you have over the years been like, you know, it's got a pretty diverse population. There's a lot of cool stuff. Housing is cheap. And I was like, no, 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 no. But the subtle brainworm just kept like eating away. So I'm thinking about it. It's on the list. I it mean, was- I, I will not to squash your dreams too much, but I did go back to Lincoln recently. Oh, God. And Here we some go. some of my favorite places, like the, the alien-themed Mars bar, no! was taken over by, like, some dudes that thought pinball was better. And, no. you know, and a few other uh, uh, soldiers of war falling down, like, <laughs> our, our favorite punk venue, like Knickerbockers, oh, has no. been converted into nice condos and Gross. so on. So you're like... Do I want the charm or do I want the like fancy stuff? And it's like, well, I kind of want both, but you can't have both all the time. Yeah. I mean, Portland's still the number one choice, but I'm just saying you opened my mind a little bit only to turn around and try to slam it closed. Make up your mind, DJ. Pick and then go check out Chico after that because it's great. Oh, my God. I know. Well, you're also trying. Oh, God. No. <laughs> you're also trying to talk me into Kansas City now. That's going to be a that's gonna be a tough sell, my friend. Yeah, that one's a hard sell. The weather that sucks and <laughs> the airport was a nightmare. So don't, don't do either one of those things. Okay. All right. Anyway, so plan for this episode, aside, now that we finally have – we have this problem where when we get together, we just, like, go down the Zillow – uh, rabbit hole rabbit hole and we have we have broken free we have escaped the event horizon of zillow so we're instead going to be kicking off the show with an in-depth conversation about wizard and glass part four all god's chillin got shoes chapter three the wizard and chapter four the glass and then we'll close out the show with a fun listener question from facebook so before we get into any of all that though dj what is our spoiler policy up in here Oh, like a, a rolling pink ball along the ground of glass. We will smash up against that giant <laughs> slab of green and let you know when we are going to break into the spoiler zone. Yes. And oh, we ha- we're going to get in the spoiler zone this time. I have to warn you, like literally the first thing I want to talk to you about is spoilers. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. So but we'll, we'll let you know when, when, I'm, <laughs> when I'm going there. I will give you like the green flashing light, as DJ says. All right. Where did we last leave off with our friends? Uh, so our friends had found some shoes. Uh, they decided to put them on, and then they realized the cutest thing ever, that Oi also needs to <laughs> put no place like home for them to transport themselves across the threshold and into yep. the city. Yep. Into the Emerald Palace they went. Which I think last episode we just tried to find pictures of the palace and had yeah. a pretty rough go of actually seeing what the traditional Emerald City looked like other than Wizard of Oz. So There is a shocking lack of fan art. I know, right? For something as like dramatically described. And even the gate, I felt like, yeah. wasn't very very well interpreted anywhere. Yeah. And again, with this episode, when we get into it, when we get into the throne room, 
there's it's kind of vague, no, right? There's no art. Like, there are no Dark Tower nerds drawing this. If you are a Dark Tower nerd with a gift for drawing, I'm going to need you guys to step up your game. Yeah, where's your your 50 or 60 foot throne of green emerald with like a curtain off yes. to the right and like the giant smoky stacks coming out of tubes all over the place? Yes. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of inspiration there. It should it should the muse should be with you and I don't appreciate having to use my imagination this much. <laughs> I kind of wonder if it's um because like Stephen King pointed so heavily at the wizard of oz Mm. that maybe fans just assume that you need to go look at that portion of the wizard of oz and make that canon i guess that's i mean that's fair but i but the throne though i wanted to see a version of what that throne looked like (laughs) with with uh um with him holding the the ball in a bag like dangling balls from his hand exactly i mean there's so much you could do here (laughs) so anyway uh yeah so let's get into this chapter all right so they they bounce into the city uh using their magical boots and or um uh what do they call in caps i guess cappies (laughs) cappies and uh first thing they see is a newspaper and so they pick up the newspaper and they're in this kind of courtyard and they read through the newspaper and it's just blah 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 yak 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 blah 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 yak 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 continues on for a while and then it's like uh story continued on page nine yeah (laughs) like sends them off and then it's like breaking news uh uh, people have shown up in the city and are basically (laughs) on their way to their their death you know and it's a picture of them right before they crossed over right Almost like instantaneously. And mm-hmm. there's a moment where um, Roland and Eddie kind of like look at each other and Eddie kind of laughs and Roland is like kind of shaken and scared. Yeah. And uh, and Eddie's like, no, nah, man. He's like, I know when someone's trying to psych you out and this is just a big psych out. Yeah. And, and Roland admits like he's like, I'm terrified. Yeah. Why do you think he's terrified here? I didn't tw- quite understand I mean, I understood why Eddie wasn't. That Eddie's like, I'm, I'm familiar with this game. I know the signs. You're not getting in my head. I'm a master of dealing with manipulators. So why is it that this... Is this going back to the same thing where everybody else, because they have this cultural reference from childhood, are not properly nervous about the... the or, or aware of the potential danger in this situation or is there something else being said here that i'm just not picking up i think it's different than that Um, okay that's a that's a good point and i don't discredit that but what i will say is that there's a couple moments um further on where roland acknowledges that he knows or feels like he knows that eventually he's going to have to explain everything Mm. for their quartet to stay intact gotcha and so I think my his fear there is at least my interpretation of it is having to reveal that final last secret and then determine whether or not he is you know rebuked from the group or if he's kept in it you know okay that makes sense like he this is the thing he's been dreading because he he stopped the story before he got to the end right so that makes that makes sense i I get that tracks and so it feels like like yes i don't disagree with you at all that because the other stuff is canon for these guys it's maybe a little more familiar and therefore a little less frightening and so so that may add to it but like roland's deep 
concerned is actually was telling the initial story and then realizing that he still has more to tell. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, now I need to talk about spoiler. Okay, okay. Okay, so... so... Uh, everyone, green lights flash in... Um, uh, other clever things that I did not say here. <laughs> Continue on, Rachel. <laughs> so I will go back in and I will put in a timestamp of when I record of when you can come back. Um, but between that and this, that should be enough vamping. You should be out of here. Okay. Hey, everyone. The spoiler section ends at about 14 minutes and 56 seconds. So in addition to the blah, 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 and yak, 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 yak that is in this newspaper, there's also sprinkled in little things like charu tree tree, slope go slow past the drawers all these little things including like same as it always was there's little splurts of you know additional text amongst the gibberish Mm -hmm. and i kind of was wondering if you you get the sense that this is written in the voice of uh i guess flag we're now calling him in this chapter Mm -hmm. um and i when he says things like all of this has been done before and we have this photo that has presumably taken just like instantaneously. Oh, is, no, no, no. It's been taken like thousands of I'm times wondering. over and over again. I'm wondering is, is because this is in Flag's voice, is this sort of him mocking Roland? Mocking Roland and also just kind of expressing his sort of like, you know, boredom with the repetitive nature of like this wheel of caw. Yeah, some of that. And then um, addressing that in the same token, if you zoom ahead a bit to that scene where Roland can't use his gun because it's, um, it's you know, part of that world. Yeah. And switches to the other one. Uh-huh. And, like, uh, Randall Flagg is basically, like, taunting him that, like, this is, will happen dozens of times. And then we talk about years, the number of years. Yeah, he says Since, centuries. Yeah, exactly, centuries. So, like, uh-huh. that's basically alluding to the exact same loop that you are alluding to right now. Okay, so you think this think is so. you think this is kind of like a, you don't catch it the first time through, but you catch it the second time yep, through. Yeah, exactly. That this is, okay, all right. Yeah, and so, like, this picture is just, like, it is actually an old newspaper, just one that's been sitting in that universe waiting for the next loop around. Yeah, I think you're right. All right. Okay. I don't know. The thing is, though, like, and this is an interesting side note, is was Stephen King clever enough to know that that was his in game when he was here at this moment? Or was that just like luck and then worked into the plot later? On? I mean, it's possible. I will say there is a lot of talk of cycles, um, like almost from the beginning. Not Not necessarily the gunslinger, but from... The beginning of the wasteland on i feel like we get really um no actually from the end of the gunslinger Mm. maybe maybe with that endless Mm. night and like yes yeah i mean i'm trying to remember how much of that was adjusted in the revised version i can't remember off the top of my head well and is this something that like with the paper shortage that was changed and added was something that was like yeah adjusted as well as like oh now this is canon I mean, I did start to notice there's a lot of Wheel of Caw talk in Drawing a Three. And then at the beginning of Wastelands, we have the thing where we run into all those robots that are just going in circles. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, some of these could very well just be happy accidents. But I do feel like, I don't know, I feel like he's seeding some of this in. Like maybe he didn't know for sure it was going to be a cycle. But I do feel like there's evidence here that like 
maybe he did know. I don't well, know. Uh, for readers that are older than us by a decent margin, there was for a, quite a while in the like fifty, late 50s, 60s, and 70s, a lot of music and sort of like sci-fi that can't kind of wrapped itself around like looping or time being like different than a linear line uh-huh. uh, aka like um uh a slaughterhouse five mm-hmm. and things like that so it may very well be that stephen king just had some of that zeitgeist in his head while he was working on these yeah because he uh, he was of an age when those sorts That's of ideas were super popular and that kind of sense. fun to play with and then sort of sprinkled in as like i don't know folk folklore or just like you know yeah what you're talking about happy accidents and then yeah towards um some point he decided oh yeah well <laughs> good thing i tossed that stuff in like let's try and lean on that a little bit and <laughs> would probably explain why many people can find some frustration in <laughs> how the series wraps up so to speak god i would love to ask him this is one of the like main questions I would want to ask. Because do you th- like, and this is uh, kind of going a little long, but um, s- still interesting. Do you, do you think if he hadn't uh, accidentally done that, we would have got the same ending? Because it sort of felt like he was struggling towards the end to figure out where where he was yeah. going, and then like maybe just thumbed through everything again and was like, aha. I've I've yeah. mentioned this a few times. That's that'll work. I mean, I know he was like definitely dealing with some mortality stuff because like he, he picked the books the... up. Yeah, after he got hit by that van. I don't know. I yeah, don't know. It, it feels like pre-van, like he was kind of on one path, mm-hmm. and then post-van, it was like, oh yeah, of course. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, I feel like, yeah, he could feel like the pressure to finish. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. We'll see. I I only read those later books one time. So especially The Dark Tower, I read one time immediately when it came out and have never revisited. And certainly not with the same degree of analysis that we're doing this time. So I'm mm-hmm. curious to see how oh, I dropped my remote. I'm curious <laughs> to see how, how how my feelings about it change as we go on. Um, other other spoilers you'll uh, never get another edition of game of thrones because r martin shut up stop saying that don't put it into the universe <laughs> anyway enough of that spoiler zone ending let's get back into the non-spoiler zone with section two okay so we uh um we kind of cut to susan's perspective but this is like a group perspective at the same time they're walking into this like giant archway with like green doors and like a kind of like a broken doorbell and susan gets this like sort of flashback of a song that apparently was played when she was a teen about a green door and like asking for a guy named joe at the mm-hmm. at the door and like i guess they're alluding to a speakeasy and i went yep. searching for this song and then sent it to rachel and instead of getting what I thought would be something normal, like just a black screen on YouTube with like some lyrics or the name of the song, I get this weird Gattaca <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> supercut where it's like 
talking about the green door and then you're just cutting to all these like dramatic and horrible portions of Gattaca and not in like a bad way, but in like a science is going to ruin everyone's life for the worse. And yeah, you can never succeed sort of way. It's mm-hmm. just that caught me off guard. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's the first time I ever heard the song. It's a bop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's a bop. <laughs> Um, and so basically after they admire this giant door and like Susan or Susanna has this sort of, um, uh, revelation about memories of stuff, they like go up to, to almost bang on the door and like Susan, uh, Susanna's like, you don't need to do that Roland. And then the door just kind of like swings open for him all dramatically mm-hmm. and their voices and sounds echo through the giant chamber as they admire, like, the craziness that is ahead of them. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. And then they walk past, and bam! The door shuts. Yeah, spooky dookie. Uh, this is all about it the spooky... a little Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo yeah, uh, it right. is a little Scooby-Doo, now that you say it. It's like, that's every mansion you ever walk into in Scooby-Doo. Like, yeah. dum 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 And then the door just, like, and then they start to, like, <laughs> <laughs> Run around yeah. Oh my god, I love Scooby Doo so much. <laughs> so I have some some details about this song because I also did some Google. It was funny when you sent me the link. I was like, I see we're both researching this song. This yeah, week. I just it was such a very specific reference <laughs> mm-hmm. and like definitely something I've never even heard of. Yeah. Oh yeah, me neither. I had never heard of this before. But okay, so it was originally. Um, the original version, because there have been multiple covers of it, including the the Shaken Steven one that you put in the the Discord, mm-hmm. uh, was by a guy named Jim Lowe, and it is about a singer who cannot get any sleep every night because there's sound of like music and partying coming from this speakeasy that he can't get into. So he tries using secret passwords, all kinds of stuff, and they won't let him in. They, and he never learns the secret of what's behind the green door. And so I think there's some. There's a couple of things. Yeah, there's some stuff happening here with like the peeping eye. We're going to see an eye in, again in a little bit. Also, the idea that behind the green door, there are secrets that that to be, you know, discovered. And there's definitely a secret still waiting for them to discover on the other side of this. Um, however, unlike in the song, they get in so they get to learn Roland's secret. There's also some this this even though you had never heard of the song, it actually has a pretty big cultural footprint. Okay. So, for one thing, um, there is a letter written by David Berg, who is the former leader of a cult once known as the Children of God or the Family. And he I know used the family. Okay. Well, he referred to the Green Door um, in a letter that he wrote, and it's like the metaphorical door to hell. There is a famous pornographic film called Behind the Green Door that has a sequel called Behind the Green Door, the sequel starring Marilyn Chambers. That is a reference to this. And in intelligence circles, they use the like something called, they, you know, they'll say like we green doored them, meaning that they did not allow them to access to like sensitive information. So there's also a uh, strip club in Cheyenne, Wyoming called The Green Door. Well, there you go. See, the song is everywhere. <laughs> and uh, so now that you've you've enlightened me to all that, I kind right? of find the funniness and irony and the naming of that. It's like a show behind a door that you could never go see. Yep. <laughs> all right. I never had to go see. Um, I'm told the patrons and staff were of an age. Oh, were they kind of like 
the way I was it was described to me is that like a couple people had their like nursing assistants rolling them in in wheelchairs. <laughs> Listen, you know what? When you're old, I I mean, when I'm old, I still want to be living life. I, I'm just worried that like someone trying to do something extravagant on a pole might break a hip or have that is- <laughs> other medical issues. That's and a really good point. It's good that there was an, a, med- a couple of medical assistants there to you know, <laughs> assess damage after the first couple of songs to make sure. Yeah, I'm guessing it's it. not as acrobatic, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm 40 and I don't want to spin around on a pole without breaking something. Uh-huh. They make it look so easy, but it's not. It's not all strength. You're going to be strong. Yeah, I am weak. All right. So... Yes, that is the green, that green door. door shut and moving on. Yeah, I'm slamming the door behind us. <laughs> uh, so the door slams behind him. The gang starts to walk down this like long corridor, and Jake starts to get a little bit freaky because um, he's listening to the noise in the hallway, and he's starting to like kind of recognize some Blaine noises. And without thinking about it, Eddie immediately like jumps into sort of a cowardly lion reference uh-huh and doesn't help at all and jake's kind of like starting to freak a bit and then mm-hmm. it's interesting because um eddie like tries to use his old bum hug joke yeah. as a way to break the ice but it no yeah. longer sits in the same comedic gold that it did only a yeah. couple of chapters before yeah. and it's interesting because like well, I, I don't know if it's interesting. It's just kind of fun that, like, Stephen King spelled out that this joke is going to run its course and get old. And, like, now that joke yeah. has run its course. <laughs> it has run its old. course. <laughs> Did not last as long as Eddie thought it was going to. <laughs> and, and then after that, Roland basically has to, like, kind of calm Jake's nerves and explain to him, like, listen, man, this, this isn't what you think it is. This is all an illusion. And mm-hmm. at the same time, like, Jake is like, no more riddles. No more riddles. That is the truth. <laughs> oh, Jake. It's weird because he seems so freaked out. I don't even think he was this scared when he was actually on Blaine. But he is fully rattled. And I do think a PTSD lot. PTSD from like yeah. Blaine begin with. And maybe I thought he had whole... survived and right back in it. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and I do think that this entire section is about setting up this palace and the person who's you know the the wizard behind the the curtain all that kind of stuff is about trying to set up specific things that are meant to unnerve and uh, throw people off balance once especially once we get into the throne room but and for jake that place is a reminder i guess of blaine uh, and then i guess if you think about it for blaine blaine was scary enough in and of itself but if you go back to wasteland all the stuff where he was losing his mind kept coming back to blaine's a pain and he kept that was sort of a it coincided yeah it coincided with the breaking of his mind so probably there is layers of trauma there that i hadn't really considered until as we're talking about it now (laughs) yeah and i think that's what stephen king's leaning in on um is even though they were successful, like Jake wrote a whole madman's book that won him like right. accolades from his <laughs> yeah. teacher about said subject, which means that there's a bit of obsession in your 
yeah, in your brain that's... about this and then like thought he yeah. had the book that was gonna like break break the train and like make this work and then that book was just a a letdown and did Fail. not save him yeah we from okay mr. tower i believe yes from mr tower um so the the each of these sections has kind of had its own running motif and since we've gotten back to kansas it's all about these literary references being inserted and we get our first one here when as they're going from this hallway into the room there is a sign that says abandon hope all ye who enter here which is of course from dante yep um that Susanna picks up on Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So that that sign is on the door, and I think Susanna is the only person that notices that. Yeah. yeah. And is there a reason you think that like Stephen King put that to her? Is it because she's from a wealthier family, and I'm... Dante's Inferno isn't like normal reading for everybody? I mean, I think she's the most likely person to have read. I mean, Eddie is not. Jake is. Jake maybe. Honestly, Jake maybe. That might um, be and... a little heavy reading for a Although younger I... person, right? I totally read that when I was super young. I don't know if I was Jake's age, but I definitely was like, ooh, this looks scary. I want to read it. And then I was like, oh, poetry. Um. (laughs) I had the decorative, like, weird leather-bound book that they were starting to release in the early 90s on my shelf next to, like, uh, a fancy version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Edgar Allan Poe. Rad. And, and, And it's like, I have these. But I've only read one of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. I mean, I definitely was like a kid who like really wanted to be like gothic and dark. So I definitely had like Poe. You got to cover the gamut. So like if you have a girl come over that's funny, then you got Hitchhiker's Guide. And if you have ah, one that's, that's deep, you've got all about. <laughs> Dante's Inferno. And if you got one that's like morbid and dark, then you've got some Edgar Allan Poe. So like no matter what, there'll be a book they pick up and be like, this guy's my type of guy. <laughs> and here's me like listening to Nine Inch Nails and drinking grape juice out of a wine glass and <laughs> pretending it's blood. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay, so they continue on. They they get through that next door that uh, had the um had the note on it, and then they pop in and like immediately they see the pillars and like this mix of um sort of Wizard of Oz stuff with the map, the like famous map from inside yes. of Blaine that has, you know, Hound Falls and all these other locations on it. And, mm-hmm. and like now, you know, Jake is like freaking out and Eddie and like Susanna are basically like realizing that there's giant pipes all over the place. And Eddie makes a point that like, look, you know, this, this is just, um a fake because they've got giant speakers and this adobe surround sound will make anybody sound like a big thing and suzanne sort of like screams out like who are you really you're not blaine blaine's dead and then like the guy behind the curtain you know basically drops his act right away and is like i am the wizard you know uh-huh. and, and like you would have thought he would have like stuck with his like cowpoke um blaine sort of voice for a little bit longer but he really doesn't hold on to it and immediately like changes tone uh, the only things i really wanted to point out in here is you briefly mentioned or the columns that had the screaming faces on them and i do think we get a little bit of a like, almost like a patchwork quilt of things that are creepy trying to maybe play on each of the things that may be vulnerabilities for our characters but the overall effect is kind of 
watered down because there's so many disparate elements, whether it's like the Blaine carpet or the screaming faces on the combs that are kind of a callback to the faces and the, in the roses and things like that. So um, let's, uh, let's, let's focus in on this for a second. Cause um, I, I, I think you're right, but I, to me, it felt like someone, and, and this sort of like goes, skips a little bit around, but you know, um, when, Jake was under the city with, with, uh, you know, the, the son of the famous man that crashed the plane. Like at that time they were really interested in his computer knowledge and Mm -hmm. like his positronics and, you know, circuits and whatever. And, and the scene that Stephen King kind of lays out feels like someone who is just starting to get the hang of the controls for this illusion making machine. Yeah. And then overcompensating for that usage and skill set by just like throwing everything at the wall and bouncing around to see what sticks. Mm -hmm. And and so my impression of the faces screaming and the Blaine mashup, and then the transitions from that to other scenes and smoke was sort of like, I don't know what I'm going to scare them with, but I'll try everything and hopefully they'll go away because mm-hmm. when he's talking to him, like the first thing he pipes up with is like, Oh, you just want to go home? You know, like no problem. We can make that happen. And they're like, no, we want something else. And he's like, go away, go away. You know, <laughs> sort of like the original wizard. Yeah. Right. And then like, that's when you realize that like, he doesn't really know how any of this stuff that he's using works. It's like a a future person who lost the ability to understand the technology but can push the buttons to make it do things. Yeah, I do like that. That's actually a really good explanation. And it goes along with this thing where they hear the sound. Of, they just, It's like an old servo coming to life. Yep. Which to me is here we have this extremely visually impressive and... Somewhat but then you have like a Berenstein Bears like um, yeah. pizza party thing going on in the background where they have to like yeah. roll it up to get it going. Yeah, I mean, like under the hood, this thing is just limping along, which ties back to this idea of it all being a bum hug, right? Right. Like, sure, yep. the the presenting kind of this over the top and like you said, kind of crudely done um, facade, but if you pay close attention, the seams are visible. And it's just kind of an empty threat. Yeah, and that's what it, it really felt like to me. Was I think that you're right. He was just flailing around with these to try and figure out what he could do to scare him. And when it started to not work, like he got a little bit more desperate with the like, uh-huh. "Don't threaten me," and so on. Mm-hmm. And, and all the while, we've got uh, uh, Oi basically like wandering around not really paying attention to the visuals just like going where his nose goes and eddie's sort of like arguing with the voice explaining that like definitely not blaine and you know uh, that susan well there's a moment too and i need to before i get too far ahead where susan like announces herself Uh as as what like a a small girl I forget the phrasing, but it's like, I'll get it for you. It's super strange. And before I jump around too much, I want to back up and talk about that because 
yeah. it means something when he did that, but I just don't know what Stephen King was going for, and I wanted to actually get your opinion on it. Well, okay, so he says, I'm Oz, Oz the Powerful, the Great, who are you? And then she says, I'm Susanna D, the Small and Cripple, yep. she said, and I was raised to be polite, but not to suffer bullshit. We're here because we're supposed to be here. Why else did we get left the shoes? Which yeah, is... Exactly. I think very much her kind of he's his undermining his bluster like you're you're great and powerful I'm small and crippled but I'm not putting up with your bullshit um which I think is a great Susanna moment for me <laughs> yeah what about you how did did you no, interpret did you feel something this, different about it well no no at first like I, I guess um once you reread re it to me I'm like well okay I picked up on the small and crippled part and was like that's weird. Like this is a strong woman who's like gone through gunfights in a wheelchair and like would lead with that. But you're right. Then she follows up with the, uh, you know, I don't put up with bullshit. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like this, the soft intro to a, a hard punch. Exactly. And, and then so, I mean, if Susanna does anything, she does that very, very well. Yeah. And so like, it's sort of the, the subtle way to like catch you off guard before you, mm -hmm. you get there. So, as soon as you went over that again, I'm like, oh, okay, I focused too hard on the first part and didn't, you know, yeah. wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. No, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, so basically, like, Oi sneaks back behind there and, like, finds his curtain and and starts to sniff at it and then pull it open. And we we find out that um, that it's just the TikTok man back there with like his scarred messed up face his like eyeball laying halfway on his cheek his skull's a little exposed and and, and then like as, as he's back there like having a bad day you know you get another voice who pops in and is like oh yeah <laughs> you know he's he's not having the best of times um i feel a little bit bad for him but mm -hmm. you know he was such a lonely guy there. And, and then we flashed to him having a machine gun next to him and like immediately screaming like my life for yours. Yeah. And then like this nice epic, but fast shot where like Jake kind of panics a little bit, seeing him and reliving that moment yeah. with uh, him down in the, in the cellars with the like, you know, I'll give you some water if you tell me about positronics. Yeah. And what have you. And then, like, bam, bam, bam. They fire off some shots and, like, just take him down. Susie, uh, Susan, uh, Susanna and Eddie both just, like, bam. Yeah. And, like, it's not just a little bit of a takedown. It's, like, three yeah. shots. Yeah. Brain matter, like, splatters up against stuff. And then, like, he falls over with his one still gleaming eye and his half-missing skull staring at Jake as if to, like, sort of insult him one last time yeah as as he falls to the ground and and then we cut back to the the throne and it's like martin being like uh um so fell lord perth yeah all right <laughs> let's go back a little bit before we go too much further with him because there were a couple things we breezed by that i do want to point out because okay. i think they they're important the first is that the smoke that was originally the map changes into the face of jonas yes yes he does for a moment 
Yes. And so I think that matters for a couple of reasons. First okay. of all, we Susanna recognizes him on site, which is a reminder that she has that gift. Like Rowan was telling the story, but it wasn't in the same way that you and I, you know, like we're imagining it or whatever. Mm-hmm. She actually recognized the person, which means she, again, was using that that gift that she has. And I think there is some parallels to the way that Jonas dies and the way that TikTok dies. In that, you know, once again, when the gunslingers go into gunslinger mode, no enemy, no matter how seemingly difficult they might be to overcome, really does not stand a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of goes out, and on one hand, it's a little anticlimactic because TikTok was a great villain, and you got the sense that he was teaming up with the Man in Black, and maybe they were going to get into some, you know, like they were going to become uh, a real problem for our gunslingers. But instead, he gets just bit like by Jonas, a dog and then it's like bam, bam, bam. It's just. The gunslingers take him out. In this case, it's Roland's new apprentices that do it, but it's a reminder that there are gunslingers. Other thing is we get another literary reference alert. So when they're talking to TikTok with not realizing yet that it's TikTok because he's still got the curtain drawn, he asks what they want and they say they want to go home. And first, Jake says, you can't go home. And he's kind of quoting something from, I think, Wasteland. But Susanna says, yes, you can. You just have to walk under the right rainbow, which to me stood out because the phrase is actually over the rainbow. You know, the song over the rainbow. In this case, it's under the rainbow, which kind of reiterates the fact that this is kind of like an upside down. Okay, I didn't get that as a literary reference. I was confused by the whole rainbow thing. Yep. So there's that. And then also when he's trying to dismiss them and tell them to go away, he says, Fiddly D, we'll talk about the beam tomorrow for tomorrow is another day, which is a Gone with the Wind reference. So they are coming fast and furious in this section. I did not get the Gone with the Wind reference either. Yeah. So when Flag is introduced in this part, it's just his voice behind them. And he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, which is again, another line directly from wizard of Oz. But mm-hmm. in that case, it's actually the man behind the curtain who says it. And in, instead of the person, you know, the, the, in this case, the wizard. And so to me, we know that the man behind the curtain is this bum hug, this trickster. So I kind of feel like it may be pointing to, King telling us something a little bit about the man in black that, you know, to some degree, maybe he's a little bit of a bum hug and a, and a trickster. Oh, see, I got the opposite out of that. I thought like when he was, you know, when, uh, when what now is self-identified as Randall flag is on the throne saying like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. He's really saying like, I am the real wizard here. And that guy is just playing at it. Uh huh. And that that's all I got, but Yeah, that could that could very well be. I could be reading way too because far. Even, it, um, and I we have go been known to a, do that. A, a touch further and Roland yeah. even is like uh the wizard or whatever you're going by these days, you know. Right. Right. We do get a, a description of him that's kind of interesting here where he's sitting on the we've been we're joking about how he's sitting on the throne playing with balls or whatever um but he also is wearing a jean jacket with buttons on it one of them is a or he's i guess it's just one button and it is a button with a pig's face with a bullet in its head which is a couple of different references first of all it's right away 
it's you should associate that with Randall Flagg because that's what Randall Flagg is wearing. But in his case, he's wearing, I think, a peace sign pin, a pin with a smiley face, and a pin with a pig that says like in blood, like how's the meat or something. I don't know, but. So I do think that this is a reference to that pin, except for in this case, the pig has been shot. And that pig and the other one also is wearing a police hat. My interpretation of this is that it is also, it's not only a reference to Randall Flagg, but also a reference to the gunslingers themselves who are the police of this world. Oh, okay. I, I did know. not, I, I did not get any of that out of that. So cool. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's all the stand stuff, right? And and this is the first time that he's introducing himself as Flag. He's introduced himself as multiple other names, but this is the first, like, this is Randall Flag moment. Well, it's interesting, though, because he says, like, right now it's Flag. Mm-hmm. So if you take that to, to follow, like, the world that they just walked through yeah. and then into the, you know, Emerald Palace or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and they make note that when they transition from that world to the emerald palace there's no more flyers about the end of the world it's just this new newspaper mm-hmm. and like him saying right now i'm randall flag is sort mm-hmm. of like him saying like yeah i just walked from this world a second ago and this is my the current thing i'm wearing is is randall flag yeah yeah but i guess the question is like which is the true version of it and oh i don't know i, I found mean, it i always assumed it was randall flag but i thought didn't you have a theory for a while that like he might be it or something uh no the crimson king might be related to it like baby or it may be a part of the crimson king Hmm. yeah yeah if you're a patron stay tuned for the bonus episodes for that crackpot theory (laughs) 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 okay so Um, the other cool thing is when they describe his smile like Mm. you know uh when he smiles, it actually like pulls his face back to a tightened point. Yeah. That like almost makes it uh visceral as opposed to a normal smile. And it I makes thought that... his face smaller. Yeah. Which ooh, I mean, I'm trying to picture what that actually would look like and I can't. I, I almost felt like it was a feeling. Um, it gives me a feeling. The Cheshire a... cat, you know, like when the Cheshire cat smiles, the rest of his face shrinks. Mm-hmm. And his mouth expands. But. So basically, um, we end up with the TikTok man dead. Uh, the joke about Lord Perth and yeah. like the fact that uh, the TikTok man will never get up again. So he's he's done, done this time. And yeah. and then we cut to Martin, who's who's basically sitting on this um, giant, you know, fifty foot green slab of a chair and is holding a bag in his hand and like sort of taunting and discussing with the group and there's a little dialogue between him and roland roland's like i don't care what you're calling yourself and he's like well right now actually i'm calling myself randall flag you're like oh poignant stephen king (laughs) (laughs) and then like tries to coax them basically away from the beam and back to anything else and then like sort of taunts rolling with like your bullets are fine for keeping the thinny out but they're not gonna be good for shooting me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and roland's like i think i'll take that bluff (laughs) (laughs) and so like reaches in and he's like i've got a gun that's not from here and the, the the thing i have a little trouble with this is that roland 
he does the classic good guy or bad guy thing and like telephones it before he does it. Yeah. In this way that's like, but I bet you don't see this thing that I'm going to do here in a second coming. That's real explicitly another gun from another place. And I will shoot you with it. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Randall flag and mm-hmm. Randall flag is like, Oh no, don't shoot me with that one. Roland. And then like Roland fots is up and is shooting catches the like trigger sight on his pants and then loses it by a fraction of set of a second and then fires three shots into the, the back of the, the uh um big Wrong. giant throne yeah and and like it's dramatic but it's like man well then you know if you're just sort of just, you know, <laughs> slowly and fire those off instead of being all like hey this is what i'm gonna do then you know right quit and, monologuing just ex- get to it exactly and so like out of all these times where we've had roland get into the action like this is the first time i think i can remember where roland's like and I'm um, phoning it in for you guys. I mean, it's very unrolling to tip his hand. I know, uh, right? Ironic choice of phrase, and, but and, yes. And I wanted to ask you about that because it's like, WTF, yo? Like, what is what is this? Yeah. Yeah. Now that you say it, you're right. It does feel... I mean, to be fair, though, Roland is probably not himself right now because as he says in this section, the thing we talked about early on is he is shocked to be presented with martin of all people after all of these quote-unquote centuries yeah and there is one thing like he says like how are the family doing you know it's been a uh, i don't mm-hmm. correspond as much as i should god he's such a dick i i kind of love him <laughs> and, and so maybe it's the fact that like randall flag has gotten these like great digs in on mm-hmm. roland uh repeatedly and like kind of shaking him a little bit that he has this problem or maybe it's just the fact that like Roland realizing that he's got the gun in his bad hand is like not as gunslingery with that hand as he should be. I, yeah. I don't know. It just cause it was kind of like a, a little lame miss. Yeah. And I mean, I'm fine yeah. if Stephen King writes a miss, but like don't write it. So it feels like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will, I will give Roland a little bit of a break just because I think for all the things that they did to try to rattle them, this is the most effective one because he's just told the story about his youth. He's stopping short of the end of it, you know, in some ways, the worst of it. And he appears to Roland as the version of himself that was the impetus for all this. The person that had brainwashed his mom, the person that had had the affair with his mom. And I think Roland was expecting a lot of things, but maybe mm-hmm not that one thing so regardless uh roland misses uh randall flag poofs out like a genie or something mm-hmm. drops the ball and the ball rolls over to the gang and at that moment like roland kind of hears a voice in his head letting yes. him know that he can't just tell them the rest of this of the secrets that he has he has to show them Yes. Yep. And this voice is the voice of Ka. He he's not his father. It's not himself. I know he specifically spells out it's not the guy that pulled me out of a horse bed naked. Nope. Like, that's a long way of saying your father, Roland. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple of things in here I just want to circle back to. One of which is you had said I don't remember what word you used. It wasn't cajole, but it was like he was kind of trying to convince them to not 
continue their quest for the tower. And all of them are very declarative, including Oi, that no, they're not going to beg off. They're going to continue to do it. And so it, it, it's a reminder of how dedicated all of them are, that it's not just Roland's quest anymore. But more to the point, I do think it's interesting that you noticed that he was just kind of like trying to convince them. And I had written like conjoling in my notes because mm-hmm. it almost seems like he can't stop Roland from going to, he can't like physically stop him, but everybody, including when we get into the next section with Rhea, everybody is trying to constantly talk them out of going. Like they have to make that choice as opposed to they can just stop it from happening. Well, isn't that the case throughout these? Like every person has a choice to either be part of the group or not. Even like in the drawing of the three, we have these moments where like, yeah, they have the opportunity to go this other way if they would like to, but then they choose to go with Roland. And that choice is the ripple effect that continues down through where we're at right now. Yeah. But you would expect that the antagonists, the people that don't want him to go to the tower would be trying to stop him. Not just like, Hey man, don't go. Hey, you know, you shouldn't go. If you go, it's going to be a bummer, but nobody's, like, he has all this power, supposedly, as a wizard. Oh, I see what you're saying. So this is that, like, false dichotomy that you're talking about where, like, he appears to be a wizard, but is he a wizard in real um, life? Or is he more, just, like, part of the chain? It's more just that I'm interested in the fact that they're not directly trying to stop Roland. They're just constantly trying to talk him out of it. Discourage him through manipulation. Through- well, I don't know. I mean, so basically it's always appeared to me at least that it's a series of tasks that he has to complete to like get to the next level. And in that way, um, the challenges that they present for him to get to the tower are those tasks. So maybe that's the only thing they, in their power to do is to put these obstacles in and see him get through it, but they can't directly attack him you know because like it's not like Randall flags like holding a gun to him instead it's like i can stop you from shooting you or from shooting me and i can control the path forward that you will have to go through but like i can't go run at you with a hammer or something like that but that i mean i guess you're that's kind of an answer to my question because i guess my question is why aren't they and the fact that they're not means something well what does it mean to me it feels like uh martin or randall flag or you know whatever his his whole job is to be the curator of this not to be the um i mean i guess he is the antagonist but like yeah he is although he does have a little bit of like end of willy wonka energy where he's like no let's go Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean like it's it's almost like his role is set in stone and sort of like a goalkeeper in a game or well Willy Wonka I guess works like he has a job to do and his job is to present these obstacles to Roland his job is not to be the judge and executioner that's left to gunslingers so in that sort of juxtaposition that you were talking about where, like, the pig is the gunslinger uh-huh. and he's anti-pig, well, like, that means that basically his job is not to pass judgment on in- anyone and, like, 
bring that verdict forward. His job is to just do the opposite of that and provide obstacles to everyone trying to do things. So like Roland brings the justice, you know, he kills the TikTok man. He kills a whole town, you know, mm-hmm. uh, of, of weed eaters and like, and so on and so forth. And, and so like, it's that difference to me, I guess, between the law enforcement and the world you live in, I don't know, or maybe like the taskmaster. I, I I'm trying think to like think I just of think an analog. It's noteworthy that our chief antagonist so far, all he does is like kind of troll and mind- mildly inconvenience Roland. No, I mean, it's more than mildly inconvenience. But you know He's what I like mean? missing a like, bunch of fingers and like. No, but he didn't do that to him. Well, he sort of alludes to like. The lobstrosities did it. My point is, is like. The man in black is not, he is not directly coming for him, trying to block his path in a aggressive way. He is using manipulation tactics to try to dissuade Roland, which is, there's, it's not that it's wrong or right. I think it's just noteworthy. And I, I wonder what it says about this dynamic and like larger maybe world building mythology things where Roland has to make the choice to leave the path as opposed to being forced to stop by an opposing force. Does that make sense? So are you like putting him in the temptress mode as opposed to the, this feels a little last temptation of the Christ every time they get together. Okay. Fair enough. I I don't disagree with that. I was trying to think of an analog to like, you know, a judgment law law guy and like, Maybe the temptress is a good one. Like one tries yeah. to to tempt the cop from being a cop anymore. I guess like look at Jonas. Jonas was going to kill Roland to stop him from doing his thing. Not the Dark Tower, but what I'm saying is as an antagonist, he wanted to directly harm the person. Yes, stop him. He was going to physically prevent Roland from doing whatever, right? Whereas when he's faced with the man in black, the man in black's like, I'm going to tell all your dirty secrets if you do it. Maybe you should give up. So this is it's back to this is actually back to the to the Randall flag of the stand then um, mm-hmm. where like he almost he needs like the belief for yeah. power. So like the manipulation game is that the people doing what he's manipulated it into for him brings him joy and power. Whereas if he were to like directly force them to do it, then there would be zero joy or power for him. So you think it's more to do with who he is as a character, as opposed to larger, like, you know, I mean, it can almost be religious allegory. Like you have to make like a free will allegory. Yeah. Okay. It, that's that's sort of what it feels like. Cause, cause you're right. Like he never comes out and attacks. So, okay, nope. cool. And like, if you look in the stand, like he never directly says like you go do this horrible thing. He's like sort of mobster esque, like get it done. However you need to. Right. And then right. the person takes it on themselves to interpret what, he wants done and does it and by doing that he's corrupting those folks yeah of their own volition as opposed to his request he's just kind of like an agent of chaos right or the you know the great corruptor like or the great corruptor yes but it's it's just an interesting when you have this very straightforward kind of action hero character as your 
protagonist to have your antagonist be like much more like yeah like a corruptor well like a, so i you I know like know a that sneaky I think of him as, you know like a worm tongue type character i don't know if i can like up to now i can't necessarily think of him as the direct antagonist he's like antagonist adjacent because like well, i mean it, in lieu of have we don't have the larger one yet like yes just, that's true up until this point as far as we know but even up until this point like he's always adjacent to roland's actual struggle like think about back under the mountain with mm-hmm. jake he's like you know, he didn't he doesn't lay a hand on anyone he just basically is like i'm gonna go and uh you can follow me and i'll tell you something or you can stay and you'll never find me again and then Roland makes the choice to let Jake fall and deals with all the consequences of that. But all the man in black does is just stay ahead of him through the whole book. They, there is no confrontation. Mm-hmm. He, he definitely manipulates situations like pulling Jake out of New York and putting him in Roland's path. But he never it's all very from the side. And it's all very much about making Roland make choices as opposed to him actually doing some taking action against Roland directly. It's just interesting. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. I just think it's <laughs> like I it was something I was kind of noticing in this room where I was like, oh, here's our final confrontation. It's the but end it's... of the book. This is the big fight. There's one beat of action and then like a little bit of psychological warfare and then he's out. Well, uh, you know, antagonist adjacent, right? I guess. I guess. Because like the actual antagonist is the guy who wants to physically do harm with the machine gun in the booth. Right. And, like he gets it. And this guy who kind of, you know, is the ringleader, but not physically in charge of any of the things that have happened to him is like adjacent to that. And even like when he's uh, saving the TikTok man, he's like, oh, our friend Blaine used to be so useful. And now he's kind of gotten a little, a little wire crossed or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, he's buddies with everybody, but he's. But uh, yeah, see, he was going to let Blaine do his dirty work. But again, like, um a protagonist adjacent he's like yeah he's interesting he's an interesting character i kind of want there to be like a little spinoff that is just about randall flag i mean isn't that called the stand touche <laughs> i mean like an origin story i want to get like in his head he i mean i guess you are a little bit in his head in the stand but in the stand he i mean he, i think he's a bit of a mystery to himself in the stand so and that's the one i think we get the most sort of internal life with he's very mysterious in the dark tower he's very mysterious in eyes of the dragon so i don't know that i ever fully get what it is that i'm talking about that i want but i think that your question is a fair one i think the stand probably is the closest so then if that's the closest then we have to kind of infer from there like how he works and the the decided description for how he works in the stand which you know stephen king is actually kind of beating us over the head with here is like he he has to allow free will across the board yeah but what is he what does he actually want i don't know he's like uh he wants souls probably or like probably there's the word so as a a reincarnation thing though like he's like the worst doctor who yeah well so i i I don't know so in in the hierarchy and like i might be completely off base like i sort of always thought of him as like the devil's one layer above him and he's like the jesus of the devil you know like 
if the devil were a triune god, like he would be the sun and yeah. the Holy Spirit or something like that. Uh-huh. And so I always kind of just pictured him as like devil adjacent where he's doing mm. sort of his father's bidding. And I know we've taken yeah. this to other places before where we're like, you know, uh, it, it could be it that's, you know, uh, above him or, or whatever. But it sort of always feels like, especially in the stand where it's so biblical, like, yeah, he is literally just like the yin to the yang of like, Yep, exactly. Like, we have the regular Christ and we have the Randall flag. So, which is interesting because I feel like in The Dark Tower, he's much more like Norse mythology, like Loki esque. Is that just because um, I just you're switching Loki? from like uh, <laughs> world to world and therefore, like, so, so there's a, a, let me back up for a second and lay this on you. And, and this is a little bit off to the side. So, we might want to put in a timestamp to jump forward. But there's a religion called Baha'i. And Baha'i, like, basically believes that every religion, for the most part, has the same principles. Like, don't be a dickhead. You know, believe in something you can't Mm -hmm. prove. And there's some sort of reward for you for doing A and B. And so their theory of religion is that a godlike figure has to present himself in a way that works best for each society that he's presenting himself to, but in essence is the same godlike figure. Mm-hmm. And then they get into some weird stuff about like, you know, fasting for a month and crap like that, but that's that's on them. Um, but if you take that same principle and idea and you apply it to like Randall Flagg, like y- you think about it, like as he bounces from world to world, as we've seen, he has to present himself differently for each society he is inhabiting but essentially he's performing the same task mm-hmm. of destruction and you know degradation of society through his like antichrist-esque skill set so if you put those two together like he just has to present himself to the audience he's working with right i guess yeah that makes sense and I maybe mean, that's too weird of a transitional <laughs> point yeah. for him. I don't know. It's just I always like the Baha'i's way of looking at it because uh, yeah. it's like, it, it like you're like you're right. You know, we have how many different species of human running yeah. around the the world, and like each one of them has an origin God story that almost falls yeah. in line with the other ones. I mean, yeah. mine is like Buddhism. Well, no, even that one has like a lot of yeah. those cornerstones. Um, so it's it's just weird that, like, how did that happen, uh, continents apart and, like, over hundreds of thousands of years that everybody basically has the same sort of story? I mean, it's human nature, right? Like, it's it's a it's a outgrowth of human nature. So God is genetic, then. Yes. Well, we all have, what is it, genetic memory or DNA? What is that? Like, or there's also the, the books that are supposedly of knowledge that we all share. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's get in. Let's just go real deep. Let's get, get into some like uh, Anunnaki uh, shit. Like, yeah, yeah. We're, we're gonna start having to talk about Thetans and stuff. Oh like no! That. Okay, okay, okay. I'm slamming the door. I'm slamming the door. We're all Green born door. Green door. Alien seed. Oh, panspermia. <laughs> Akashic record. Thank you. No, oh, there I, you go. This from go. from producer Randy in the background. Okay. Do you? So, is there anything else we want to touch on before we move to chapter four? I don't think so. I think we can get into chapter four. Chapter four, the glass guys is basically like 
we we already heard Roland the internal voice like he needs to show everyone what's going on and like he's got the the pink ball now and he can basically like memory warp them into this ball and use it to show him show them the events of like this previous time in Roland's life and so everybody's warped back into a Gilead age with a, a Roland that has a voice that is very much his own only not reflective of the smoking and like scars and age of current Roland. So like a young, but firm Roland. <laughs> young, who's but also, firm. <laughs> yeah. Who's also happens to be holding the uh, sandalwood grip guns that uh, were apparently um, everybody already knows bestowed upon him in the previous uh, um, sort of like, gathering of youth and, and we kind of know too that roland like has been there in gilead for about four or five months we get a kind of flashback in this of the knife that can touch you and kill you instantly or stab you and kill you instantly and we find out because we already sort of knew that roland held on to the ball a little bit longer and was to find the person that was supposed to be the assassin to his father. And so what basically unfolds here is that it turns out that his mother was to be the would-be assassin. Yeah. And Roland had caught her in time and taken the knife away from her. And the the impression you get is that like Roland as a young person doesn't understand that shame and loyalty uh, could be trumped by lust. Mm-hmm. And that's what has driven his mother to this way. And there's a moment too, where like Jake's it's sort of from Jake's view and he's looking around and Su- Su- Susanna has her legs and they they realize they're all in the dream. And Jake thinks about his own parents and Roland's parents and sort of realizes that guess what? Um, his parents are the same. Yeah, And so while this sort of um, epic knife thing is unfolding, Jake understands more than the rest what's going on because his father was a gunslinger at the network. Yep. And his mother had a uh, a patent for sleeping with uh, sick (laughs) sick friends. Yeah, Yeah, I was uh, like, what do you mean sick friends? I didn't quite understand what that meant, but I was like, okay. I mean, I get... I get the inference, but I was just like, what? What's so I think like, cause early on when we meet Jake's parents in some of the um, previous books, we kind of get the impression that like his mother has been like fooling around. Yeah. And you know, his, his dad's already like a gu- uh, a hot shot at the network, but he's having these like cocaine parties and right. And crazy drug parties. And so you kind of just assume that, like, when they're talking about sick friends, it's, like, people that are adjacent to his father in the network but aren't real gunslingers or have, like, addiction or whatever problems. And, like, she's good for – or she has, like, a savior thing going on maybe for those folks. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm Because, like – Roland's mother too sort of feels like, oh, but if only someone saw what I saw in him, he could be better, you know. Right, right, right. That sort of weird rescue 
mentality where like some people just you, there is no rescue they're gonna be awful forever <laughs> um, and, and so uh basically we we get this like sort of flashback um we see that roland is heading up to his mother's room while we're also getting this information poured on us and as he gets there uh he the gang kind of sees like shoes down the hallway and shoes underneath the curtains and like is looking like in every corner for what might be the dangers of Roland. And Roland is sort of like focused in on like just going up to his mother's room. And as he sees the glass, like we realize that like Roland as a gunslinger is still observing his entire world and not realizing that it was his mother behind him uh, sees in the glass that a you know missing nose crazy witch of the west lady is back behind him which is actually the ball lying about the reflection of his mother and roland turns around and before he can even stop fires off um shots into his his mother and right. i believe uh ria refers to this as matricide yes which for some reason I just thought was like shooting your bed mattress. So <laughs> I was like, I was confused for a moment. And then I'm like, Oh, context uh, probably means mother or family member. Or something. Yeah. So like patricide is killing your father, father matricide is killing your mother. Did not know that. I don't Learned know it. I don't new. know what family, if there's a word for family, probably family side, family side. Yeah. Sure. Let's make that. Yeah. It's a thing. I learned about it at the Basilica Axe Murder House family side. <laughs> so it turns out that like his mother was not holding a weapon. She was holding a uh, a belt, I think, that yes. she had made for him specifically. Yes. And like in that moment, Rhea can see Roland, but she can also see his guests that have been brought back into the dream mm-hmm. and like uses this moment to like cackle and beseech these folks to give up on Roland because he kills his own family. Right. And, like, the gang basically stands strong and is like, nope, you killed her. Yeah. And you killed his love of his life. This isn't on him. This is on you. Right. And then, you know, (laughs) Jake realizes that he could break the glass and then tiddlywinks, tiddlywinks, tiddlywinks. <laughs> 100%. God, that ball has nine lives, man. That What's ball, that? That ball has nine lives. How know, it right? is, it has almost been destroyed like four times in this book. Yeah, and so you got a lot of stars here and I definitely like paraphrased the crap oh, out yeah. of that little section. I mean, so. you, you touched on some of these things. I just wanted to make sure that we, we got them, which was things like, that this is all in Jake's POV, which is an interesting choice. And it, it makes sense because he's the person who's closest to him in age. And so he understands him on a level that the others, other two can't. And then mm-hmm. adding to that, he has the experience of having a similar, some crossover in the dynamics between his parents. Like this is all stuff you touched on that I thought was really important. We see, we learn a couple little things like Roland now has his guns and uh, that Rhea got her revenge in the end for Ermot. I <laughs> still the snake fucking snake and, man and that was actually the, there's a fun bit in there where like when the glass is reflecting um uh Rhea coming at him instead of his mother like Jake is like did she find another rock to pull a gross ass snake out of <laughs> right <her? laughs> 
<laughs> yep. 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 And I, I, what I want to talk about a little bit is, I mean, it's, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about what we think about Gabrielle Deshane, because I do okay. feel like I don't totally know how we're meant to feel about her. There are some things that make, I mean, it, it's a tragic situation, but there are some, some things that make it look like she's sort of an innocent victim, other, others that are a little more concerning. So I'm like, okay, are, is this a situation where we have a somewhat real unreliable narrator here? Uh, is some of this colored by the way that Roland, what Roland wants to think about his mother? Well, let's roll back for a second and, yeah. and think about stuff we already kind of been let known mm-hmm. about her. And, and one of the things I want to point out on this is that when Roland tells his father about her um indiscretions with another man like his father already knows and is aware of everything and is not angry about it Mm -hmm. so what it felt like to me at least and i'm completely open to any other ideas because you usually beat me out on these but um it feels like he put her up to it to begin with to kind of cover his bases for what he realized was his enemy and then she got too deep. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, um, I don't know, one of those weird spy novels where you're like, it's spy versus spy. And then they always do this with the woman character where they're like, but then she fell in love with the with her prey. And then it became this thing. And then she turned on the people that originally sent her there. You know, like like some of the reporter dramas, like um, Thank You for Smoking, where like the reporter like, is supposed to be reporting on this guy and is suddenly like, but I think you're really hot. So now I'm not going to report on you anymore. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, this is kind of a stupid thing that they're doing at the ladies, but it sort of feels like that's what the plot line is for her here. Is that like, as a loving wife, she initially took the bait because her husband sort of let her or told her to maybe not let her, but like asked her to. And then she went down that path and like, found out that she was sort of into it and it corrupted her mm, interesting question mark See, I, don't, I, I know like, i thought it was more that he had worked a spell on her that she so? was that she was under mind control to some degree but maybe not because there's that mention i mean that was always my interpretation but there is kind of evidence maybe not that she was meant to spy but that she did genuinely just get regular old school seduced by him um, with the thing about how like lust can be more powerful yeah. in a section, so that's that's interesting. But I mean, there's like specific conflicting evidence in this section alone that I think is worth looking at, which is things like hiding from Roland. You know, where she's she he come she comes in or he comes in and she's like he's calling out for her and she stays hidden behind the curtains. We just see her feet. Um, we know that she's stolen the glass from Stephen. Um, but, likely to give to martin but then at the same time she comes in she's made him this belt when she dies she has a smile on her face her face that seems to be that she's looking for reconciliation with him so i i don't know i don't know how to feel about gabrielle i feel like she's a very i can't decide if she's a complex or a problematic character <laughs> Well, isn't there a moment like, and maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly, but it it seems like there was a moment where like Roland realized that his mother had sort of in it, not inadvertently, but vertently saved him. 
yeah during the like sending him out after his battle with court mm-hmm. and because th- there's a moment where she's like on the balcony and like he's having this thing happen and sent off to go ride and it's like it sort of felt like part of that saving was done with help from his mom i, I mean maybe think. i don't know unclear uh, Unclear, yeah. I think you're right. Like, eh, maybe he's 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 got magic loins. Yeah. Like, oh God, <laughs> no. <laughs> but maybe, yeah. <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the stand, and I'm like, well, I want no part of those loins. Yeah, and and now you have demon baby in your tummy. Yeah, mm. exactly. I just think this is a, you know, weird way to uh, not weird, but an interesting way to wrap up one of the biggest antagonists of the book. Rhea gets her, her revenge and then gets away with it. As far as we know. Well, it's, does she? I'm like, at this point, is she just trapped in the... Well, no, no, because we know that she, like, doesn't die. It's right, like she... When Roland... Last we saw her, she was lighting Susan on fire. End of story. Well, yeah, and I think when Roland was given the rundown of other characters, like, Rhea was not one. He says he saw her one more time. Yeah, is the one more time in the glass? I think it's this. Okay, so then, like, we don't know for a fact whether Rhea actually is dead or not, or if she's just using the glass and her, like, magical uh, diarrhea powers to, like... Yeah, exactly. I mean, those that's the (laughs) tech... But yeah, I mean, as far as we know, I I mean, there I think there's probably more in the comics about Rhea, but in the actual text, I think this is the last we hear of Rhea. I mean, we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong and I don't remember correctly, but I think she kind of gets away with this. Hmm. It's just interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Like on one hand, I think it's a good juxtaposition for things like TikTok man or Jonas being so easily beat. Yeah. But sometimes the good guys don't win. You know, sometimes the bad guy exacts their plan, kills Susan and then gets away with it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't, I think, you know, that's fair. I think that, you know, it can't always be the good guys win or it's boring. Right. So, well, you can't have Susan live or it would be, you know, uh, what would be the story? Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I think I think it's also good for there to be some diversity in terms of. It it keeps stakes, you know what I mean? Like if you know that ultimately the good guys aren't always going to win out, it matters when they're facing off with someone. Well, it's kind of the, uh, what is it, the hero's journey? Right. Where you have to, like, you have to fall down a few times before you can stand up. That's true. I've seen anime before. I know how this works. Um, Okay, cool. So that is it for the section, unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about. No, I think uh, this was pretty good. Now, let's do our regular end of section talk. What do you think overall? Um, I think... It's, I don't, I mean, we still have one chapter left. I mm-hmm. think it's an interesting way to end the book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't dislike it. I do think that there's some, I, I love anytime Roland and the man in black are facing off is good time for me. And it's certainly weird. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't, I don't dislike it. It's not my favorite, but I didn't dislike it. How about you? 
I know um, this is you... very non-committal. My answer, <laughs> I think, because yeah, I, I know, don't like, actually I'm, know I'm how like, I feel. What was that? That was like a that was a milk toast answer. <laughs> yeah, I. You know why? Because I feel like I don't really know how I feel about it. So I'm on the spot trying to decide if it worked for me or not. And I think it, in some ways, did, and in some ways, did not. And so for me, it felt like um, almost like a tales from the crypt. Aha! Uh-huh, like. Bet you didn't see that one come, come and see the, seeing that one coming. Yeah. And so like, you're kind of like, you enjoy the fact that like Rhea gets one last laugh, but it also feels like the end of one of those like Crypt Keeper comic books where it's like, and then the killer gets one last laugh. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You're like, okay, this is kind of good, but it's also like a little hokey. And, and and then even the the stuff in the in the uh, Emerald Castle, it's like I like what you got going on there. I mean, I like, it's interesting. Know, I like, yeah, I like your visuals and stuff. You yeah. know, uh, um, and then the guy behind the curtain like only makes it a few seconds, and then like you only get a little bit of taunting, and then it's like now we got to look into this ball. And so I don't. I, I actually thought it was okay. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't hate it. It's just that. I kind of wished I got a little more, um, a, a little more of Randall Flag, yeah, so we could see what he was about, yeah, and maybe you know, like TikTok Man is operating this cool machine that shoots fog all over the place and like can show you anything. Like, come on, give give me some more. Like, you could have like probably yeah. turned that into its own chapter and then like mm-hmm. rolled back into it. Maybe even like some more rhymes or, or some uh, riddles or something like that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think but, it I think it suffers from having a really emotional um climax of the story within the story and then the mm-hmm. second one even though it's super sad and tragic like it just isn't It's like how do you outshine the sun? Right, like I'm already like you like let me go. I I've been brutalized. Like I I didn't have as much emotional bandwidth for this one. So Yeah, you almost didn't need to like you didn't need this here you almost could have just drawn the line and like, and then they got to the gate and then next book. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that would have been another really great cliffhanger, right? Although I don't know who knows. We still have one chapter left. Maybe there is going to be an epic cliffhanger because I genuinely don't remember how this book ends. I mean, I thought it was just like, and presto digitation or like (laughs) back on the beam or something like that. Like, and that's why I was doing tiddlywinks with the tiddlywinks. tiddlywinks. <laughs> yeah, because it's like I think I remember that it was just like, and now we're back to uh, doing our normal thing again. Yup, yup, yup. But I might be wrong. Uh, we'll find out next week. Yes, we will because on next week, plan for next week. Perfect, perfect segue. We are going to be finishing the book. So we are going to be covering chapter five, The Path of the Beam, the final chapter in the book. So we're going to do that. And then we're just going to talk about our feelings overall with the book, what our plans are for the next thing, all that kind of stuff. So normally I post a question in the Facebook group and we do a little listener question section, but I want this week, since we're wrapping up the book, I want to touch down with everybody about how you feel about this book. How does it stack up for you in the overall dark tower series? And did this read through change anything for you? Did it make it better? Did it make it worse? Did you feel like, you know, going through it on with us 
illuminated new things for you or changed the way you saw it. Uh, just kind of, I want to get your your feeling for where we're at with the book. You can email us at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com and that's zombie G-R-R-L-Z.com with those. Or you can come over to the Facebook group. You can DM us. You can do whatever you need to do. Just get that to us and we're going to go over that in the next episode, which is the final one for Wizard and Glass. Let's see here. Connections to Stephen King universe, not this time that I saw, which is crazy because you'd think it'd be peppered all throughout this section. This would be a great place to shoehorn in some weird stuff. Um, and so nothing there. No new news on the movie or adaptation front. Chapel Wait is probably the most adjacent thing that there's a trailer out for that. It's coming soon. So I'll I'll be watching it. I don't know about DJ, but we may talk about <laughs> that in the future. Um, but not today. So that just leaves us with our question for the group. So I've been thinking a lot about I and mean, we're getting into the end of the book. I'm thinking a lot about our quartet. I'm thinking a lot about lots of other literary references and other things because that has been the motif of this entire final section. And so it got me wondering. The Cotet is someone is like a group of people who are brought together for a single purpose by fate, right? Um, and that they may even have some sort of like deeper psychic connection. I don't know if that's required, but that can be a part of it. So I was wondering what other people's favorite non-Dark Tower Cotets were. Like who are other people in film, books, whatever, where they have this same dynamic but are, is not rolling in a gang. DJ, do you want to go first or do you want me to come oh, back to you? Oh, no, this is easy. Uh, so uh, while I had the cast to think about it, since uh, Rachel helped me <laughs> by, like, springing this on me early, um, th- I don't know if you've ever read the uh, series of unfortunate events oh. or watched the adaptation, which is also quite good. I haven't caught up with it because I don't have enough time to watch television. I, know. I hope it's still going on. Um, and Netflix hasn't canned it like they do everything else that is good. I think they <laughs> finished it. I don't know if it's oh, still ongoing, but I think they finished it. Oh, then I might have to revisit that. But uh, the series of unfortunate events was the Boulder Lair children. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, um, a brother, a baby daughter, and a sister uh, all like going on adventures through this like um you know sort of dystopian land where adults don't listen to kids and like horrible things happen all the time mm-hmm. and it just uh th- those guys as a whole like they're always sort of like filling in each other's gaps and have like an understanding of what the other ones need and it, in the book series it's always great and if uh, you have never um, done an audiobook before, I would recommend listening to those because they're read um, by Tim Curry. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, oh, my. Okay. Go on. Thankfully, to before Mr. Curry suffered from his medical maladies mm. that are super sad now, and he does a marvelous read of the series of unfortunate events. Oh, my God. So, I'm totally going to listen to this. Yeah, and like you know Tim Curry, so it's like. Oh my god! I love yes, Tim Curry full cast. Oh yeah! All right, I put in my wish list. Yes, is the the guy that wrote series of unfortunate events, and this is like a weird aside, was too cheap in the first two or three books to hire a voice actor to read them. So, Mm. or no, no, it was the other way around. He was he was paying for Tim Curry to read them. He got three books in. 
And he's like, well, I read these books at sittings all the time. I could just do this. He did two of them. No one liked it, and he hated doing it, and it was a lot more work than he thought it was. And then they just hired Tim Curry to come back and do them all. Holy shit, there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. That's why when he said it was completely done, I was like, I think there's 11 or 12 books total. So we asked the listeners. Oh, mine. I didn't say mine yet. So I had a few. Like, I was kind of like playing around with like trying to i knew i was forgetting something but i had written down uh i'm reading those i told you about these already those the shadow and bone there's like two books in the middle that are like heist books that are based on the, this group of characters i really like that are called the crow club and they're like you know one of them is an acrobat one of them is really good at planning one of them has the like powers to like make your heart Son stop of a bitch i'm in right it's very that very that um but they all like have this really great banter and dynamic. And so I was like, oh yeah, that, that's a content. That'll work, you know. I really like them, but it wasn't it wasn't quite right. So then I was like, oh well, Star Wars, duh, Luke, Leia, Han, Chewie, that is a content, right? That's an epic one. But ultimately they're not my favorite Star Wars characters. So I was like, no, that's a good content, but it's not my content. Then I was like, it's the Ghostbusters, duh. As soon as they get Winston, shit starts popping because you need all the characters. <laughs> But then, ding, 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 it clicked. My favorite content, Team Avatar. Oh, really? Yeah, that's actually a pretty good one. Right? We've got the powers. We've got, like, fate bringing them together with her, like, finding him in the ice. They have a very specific goal to fight the Fire Lord. Um, They have an amazing dynamic. Uh, Yeah, so for me, Team Avatar is my favorite non-Dark Tower content. Made me just, like, want to go back and watch the series for the millionth time. Yes. We got yours, which yes. was actually great. It was the Thank Avatar, you. which led yes. us down a long trail. Yes. What about our listeners? All right. So we got some great answers, as usual, from the listeners. So James was the first to answer, and he kept it short and sweet. He said, the Goonies. Nailed it. Yep. Yep. Taking it to the Goondocks. God, I love that movie so much. The Goondocks. <laughs> love it so much you and i have both been to astoria and uh have peeped the goonies house from afar okay uh craig says since eight i loved that show did you ever watch that um i want to say it was like one of those weird mutant spinoffs only like with psych yeah i mean it's based on a comic yeah um oh this isn't the one where like 44 people get dropped on the earth and like they're mentally linked together somehow well it's eight people who are mentally linked it's oh. very sexy very sexy. oh there's like a lots of mental group sex it's happening okay this is not the thing i'm thinking of then because are you the, thinking the of like show... the 4400 yeah something like that where they could all like sense each other and stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no 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 this is sense eight where it's eight people who all share like what well, like just sexy time oh lots of sexy (laughs) very graphic sexy time um so craig escandalo okay he said i love that show it was about eight people from around the world who had never met but suddenly found themselves able to share each other's thoughts experiences and even lend their skills to each other from half a world away that is a great example of a content like for a for instance like one guy in germany i don't know if this this is probably not correct is in a situation where he's about to like you know, be attacked by someone. And there's like this girl. In- he gets like sense a powers from like this girl who's a fighter. Yes. So she's like a martial artist. And so all of a sudden he is a martial artist. 
because she she can like see through his yeah and then but then they all bone okay that sounds like a real long stretch i mean it was it was interesting i fell off a little bit but it was like there was like a girl from from greenland and then i don't know there was it was she was uh, impervious to ice (laughs) i don't know if they all had i think their only superpower was that they could like be in each other's minds there was like an actor guy from mexico there was like i said like a girl from japan that was a martial artist he's like hey chuck i'm about to go on your your hand job power (laughs) (laughs) i mean you're not totally wrong okay so let's see here tim said the scooby gang both the hanna-barbera cartoon and buffy the vampires slayers circle of friends correct and correct uh the fellowship of the ring dorothy oh this is a good one and i forgot i was going to talk about this today oh what dorothy tiktok jack jack Pumpkinhead, and belina in return to oz oh i haven't re- watched return to oz in a long time oh my i just in the last year made all the zombie girls watch it because it was like my obsession as a child and it was a hit they they know what's good <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so creepy dj you should rewatch it because it is real different with grown-up eyes wait wait was this the one that had michael jackson in it too no that's the whiz okay so return to oz is the one with um nancy from the craft as a little oh girl. yep yep okay you remember yeah. that one and like yep. they take her the, in for electric shock therapy but the, yep, power the girl goes that out. always has the brutal face i know yes exactly yes yes yes, yes yes okay that is one of my all-time favorite movies. I when I, I had a fever, really high fever when I was a little kid, and I watched it, and I hallucinated that the Goblin King was force-feeding me jewels. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, he also mentions the Losers Club from It. Excellent content. Um, okay. Brenda says, Companions from Dragonlance Chronicles or the Losers Club from It. I've not read Dragonlance Chronicles. Have you? No, I don't think so. All right, Brenda, I'm going to need to know more details. Do I need to read Dragonlance Chronicles? I'm always looking for recommendations. I mean, there's so many dragon books with, like, the dragon riders and the dragon dragons and the dragon, the dragon dragons. (laughs) Then there's the alternate World War II book where everybody rides dragons. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I get confused when someone's like, hey, what about that dragon guy rider thing? And you're like, well, which one? Dragonlance Chronicles. I'm going to Google this. I'm Googling it, Brenda. I'm going to educate myself on all things related to dragon lances. Okay. Uh, because it's clear in both that each one has a part to play and it takes all of the members to succeed. That's an important ingredient in a cosset. I agree. Plus, they are some of my all-time favorite characters. Oh, that matters too. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sheldon agrees. Losers Club. The boys from the Amazon series, The Boys. Oh, that's Ooh. a good one. So their den is... Uh, What's his face? Why am I crazy? Crazy bearded guy. Yeah. New Zealand. Mr. New Zealand handsome guy. (laughs) I can't remember his name. I had it in my head like one second ago and it's gone. Um, And I consider the group of soldiers from Saving Private Ryan as a quartet as well. Yeah. I I mean, they are gunslingers. Yeah. Oh, my God. I almost had it. It was in my head for just a second. It left again. I hate it when that happens. Okay. 
And let's see here. Michelle says, oh, this is our final one. Michelle says the OA angels that travel through different dimensions are and are connected throughout their travels. Did you ever watch the OA? Uh, no, it's like surfaced on my Netflix a bunch and been like, you should watch this. You should watch this. And I just have not. It's a weird one. That's one where Netflix canceled it and the pe- fans were pissed. I think it was, that was only one season though, right? Like it literally just was like one and done. Two. I think it got two seasons, but it's supposed to be five. Mm. So people were hot. Yeah. So that is it for our list of cuttats for you out there who are going to be writing in anyway, because we want to hear what you thought at the end, uh, how you're feeling at the end of Wizard and Glass. Feel free to drop a PS in there of your favorite cuttat and why and all that good stuff. All right. So that is it for us for unless you are sticking around after the credits for our extended episode for patrons only. Um, I think DJ, I'm going to ask you about your latest, your adventure at Crypticon. Are you willing to give me all the spicy details? You want to, you want to find out how I confused the hell out of Billy Zane? Stay tuned. Yes. Yes, I do. So uh, for those of you who are sticking around, you'll get to hear that. I am going to include a sneak preview. If after the music, stay tuned. You'll get to hear the first few minutes of DJ's adventures at Crypticon. And uh, if you want to hear more, head over to our Patreon. And if you want to drop us a line, you can always do that at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z dot com. And uh, if you're not already a member of the Facebook group, what are you waiting for? Get in there. And if you love the show, please review us on Apple Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. If you're looking for something scary to watch tonight, check out our video on demand and streaming calendar on the Zombie Girls website. And if you want to sport some sexy ass merch, I'm telling you, ladies and gents alike, enjoy a sexy cast of Caw t-shirt. So head over to thezombiegirls.com forward slash merch to see all of our sweet teas. And uh, yeah, that's it for us. DJ, where else can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can swing over to deadliner.com and check out that podcast, which is the deadliner.com podcast. Very original naming. We do great with that. And that's really <laughs> right now about it. Um, I have been on a bit of a hiatus building house projects. So what about you, Rachel? Where can they find you? Well, as always, you can find me on the Zombie Girls podcast, uh, where we review horror films from a feminist perspective. The last ones, the one that's coming up is about parasites, and it was very traumatic for me. Uh, you can find me on the cast of no, that's this podcast. You can find <laughs> me. <laughs> you can find me on the Stream Queens, where we review horror films that are streaming on the internet. Uh, I think the next one we're doing is Vicious Fun, which was as advertised, both vicious and fun. And you can find me on More Deadly, where you horror films exclusively directed by women. Our episode out now is on the movie Raw. We have a very special guest, Caitlin from Plug It Up Podcast, joined us to talk about uh, feminism and cannibalism and sexual awakenings and eating people and whatnot. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be on their uh, an upcoming episode of their show, I think, in the next few weeks. So you should subscribe to them. Other than that... I don't know. Just listen to this episode again. It was so good. So nice. You had to listen twice. DJ, take us out. 
Hey, well, Rachel mentioned parasites. I just want to let you guys no! know a little medical fact. No! Um, if you suffer from, you know, any kind of al- allergic reactions to things, uh, one of the British government approved methods for fixing that is a little bit of hookworm in your body. Oh, a little bit of hookworm no. for your soul. It will make you feel all better, don't you know? And good night. <laughs> How do they administer it? Do they just like stick it in your feet? Uh, no, no. They they just put it like the hookworm babies into your into your food, and then you get like um, five or six of them. As long as they don't go, as long as you don't get too many of them, then you're golden. They just live inside of your intestines and produce a immune suppressant that makes you less reactive to things you're allergic to and if you go overboard then you start to lose nutrition so you know there's a delicate balance uh, i'm gonna go throw up all my organs four and six bye (laughs) bye everybody thanks everybody for listening and to my co-host dj for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies production on this episode was done by yours truly our theme song for the show was created by DJ. oh my god Parappa or, the Rapper. or they wanted to play the rolly ball game oh my god for us it was like always um uh Mario street Kart, fighter 2 street fighter 2 yeah, like I would hear, I would hear Blanca, and I'd be like, "No, the weed guy." Oh, Lucan! <laughs> yes, <Lucan>. exactly. <laughs> Hyper uppercut. <laughs> All right, hello everyone. We'll see how much of this makes it into the extended episode. Hello everyone, welcome to the extended episode. If you are here, it is because you are cool. So, because you're cool, you get to hear all the behind the scenes stuff, like when apparently. DJ confused Billy Zane. No. <laughs> so, DJ, what did you do this weekend? Give me all the spicy tea. No, so it was a little, a little longer than a weekend, but um, basically I packed up with my air supply um, N95 mask, which is actually really nice. It's a tube that attaches to a, a papper filter that hooks into your N95 mask and provides you with filtered fresh air as you're stuck on the plane for a long time. Ooh, so if you're tired of being this. sweaty in your mask, they're like yes. 30-ish bucks on on amazon uh since a lot of places are selling less masks these days they've dropped down from their normal hundred bucks so uh definitely a bargain if you're stuck on a plane and heading to a delta variant yeah i'm supposed to be going to boise like at the end of next month i need to know about this thing of which you speak because i have to get on a plane oh i'll I'll send you a a post-mortem of it the only weird thing that happened Uh is one leg of my trip back there was one flight attendant that was like i don't like that thing i don't think you should wear it and i was like okay well would you like me to put a um a cloth mask on over it and she's like yes and so i put the cloth mask on over the top of it what and she like looks at me and i'm like covers my nose and mouth and face you cool and she's like that's not what i meant and then she just left me alone weird and but was like completely satisfied with me wearing like a cloth mask a cloth mask over the top of this mask and it's like "Ah, okay cool lady and i don't know what her deal was like i yeah i went and got the like cdc tsa thing and like 
looked over it and it like is completely fine and i don't know what was in her head but i think she thought i was like a weirdo that had like the suction thing on where you blow your air out on everybody she probably thing. thought it was like how they keep telling people not to use valve masks because yep, just, exactly yeah exactly and I yeah. don't think she understood how it worked and was just getting But it frustrated. has like a HEPA filter or something in yeah, it, Yeah, right? so it's just a – it like literally is a necklace with like a battery-powered air pump and a filter on it. And the oh filter sucks air in through the filter and then pushes it into your N95 mask. So instead of having to like suck air in through your N95 mask, it basically fills your N95 mask up. Oh, my you. God. I need that because I have glasses. And so it's just like – Oh, zero fog. Zero oh fog. my god yes please 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 send me a link i'm gonna buy one <laughs> literally t- i'm gonna buy two literally tonight send them and to i me. didn't realize this is gonna turn into mask talk 2020 i mean you never know what's gonna happen beyond the right the beyond the paywall extended gates like it could be mask talk it could be billy zane talk it could be cartoon talk it could be you know winning lottery numbers you just never fucking know all right, let's talk about <laughs> Crypticon. Let's hear the goods. Okay, so I rolled into Crypticon uh, with my like tube mask on. That uh, this is a podcast, so you'll just have to visualize an N95 mask with a tube coming out of it, hooking onto an air filter, supplying your face. And uh, uh, we met up with everybody. Um, first thing we find out is that Mark uh, misprinted <laughs> some of the Blu-rays. Um, forgot to stretch out the design, so the. Uh, Inside of the Blu-ray has like a smaller version of what the cover is supposed to look like, not covering the whole thing, mm. which is just like face palm. Um, and and then uh, some other fiascos with that. But we roll into the convention. Friday night was solid. Like, okay, sold a bunch of people, met a bunch of cool folks, like hung out. And then Saturday, for whatever reason, was like kind of slow going. And so after a while, I just created a sign that was like, um, starving filmmaker needs, uh, <laughs> needs money to get home. But I did it in like a pictographic manner. Uh-huh. So I um, imagine the sign. The sign said, uh, starving filmmaker needs dollar signs to get. And then it was a picture of a house. <laughs> So, and so, like, I'm just, like, kind of sitting up against the trash can at the convention, like, directing people to our booth whenever they try to give me money. And Billy Zane sends out his, um, his handler, like, basically his what? assistant. 